Well, good evening. Um, I can't tell you how much I love Wynn Baptist Church. Um, you have blessed my family over the past several months. Uh, Steve has had a hard struggle, and you guys have been there for him. You've been there for Kim, for Clark and Kat. You have brought food, and I have made it my ministry to be sure it didn't go to waste. Um, you have covered them in your prayers. They know it, they're blessed, and they love you. Um, yesterday, Brother Don was at Kim and Steve's, and uh, I couldn't ask for a better mentor or friend than our senior pastor. And he came to me and he said, Dustin, are you up for tomorrow night? And, and I told him I was. I'm not, I'm not sure that I am. But I know Steve was a kingdom man. And he would be dishonored by somebody not preaching on his behalf or because of him. And today more than ever. Steve is a kingdom man. Will you pray with me as we turn this, this service over to Jesus? Father, we come to you tonight. And you know the depths of my heart. You know that it scares me to death to stand in front of your people and open your word and share it with them. Because it is your word. It is not my opinion. And we have to be sure that your truth goes forward. So I pray that you would speak through my mouth tonight. It's also a joy and an honor to get to stand in a pulpit and preach the gospel to your people. And I thank you for that. Father, we acknowledge that your word has authority. We acknowledge that your word is correct. And we acknowledge that anywhere that we differ from your word, we are the ones that are wrong. You have authority to, to tell us when we're wrong. And we submit to that authority tonight. Father, we surrender the rest of this time to you. And we ask you to do whatever you want to in us as individuals and in us as a church. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was at Kim's this afternoon uh, fulfilling my ministry, my calling to be sure the food didn't go bad. And um, my other uncle was there. He's a little bit of an instigator. I hope he's watching the live stream. Um, but he called Laney over to him. And he said, uh, Laney, is, is your dad a good preacher? She said, well, he's funny. <laughs> Blessed me. I have resolved to not be funny at all tonight. 
This is church and we don't need to smile. <laughs> One of my favorite things about being a pastor, which is really shocking, um, it is marrying, performing the ceremonies of young couples. You got to watch how you say that. Sometimes I say, I married her and her husband. That's kind of weird. Um, but uh, one of my favorite things is, is being a part of the wedding of a new couple. And even more than performing the ceremony, it's, it's counseling them. Uh, it's really fun to me. Um, they are enamored with one another. They, you can see the heart eye emojis while they're talking about one another, and it's, it's really sick and twisted. But uh, <laughs> one of my favorite questions is, what are your differences? And I have, I have mastered, I can, I can guarantee you the response. They look at one another and they smile real big. And they say, well... We have some differences. They, uh, they, they, the woman basically says he's a slob, but it's a, he's a beautiful slob. And the guy says, well, he, she has a shoe fetish, and I realize I'm going to have to get six extra jobs, but I can't wait to do that for her. And, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking, yeah, you, you got to walk this road, you know, and, 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 and at some point, that's not so fun anymore. And, and it's real funny to watch that to me. But it's, it's so cool that they are totally enamored with one another. They, they are so in love that they can't even see the weaknesses or the differences of the other one. But most of you in this room have been married long enough to know that they come to a head. Um, the woman realizes that the man snores at night. And at first it might be cute, and then it gets old. The man realizes that the woman actually does use the restroom from time to time. She's never been on a date. And they get married, and it happens. Um, and then... As, as time goes on, there comes a point where at first their differences were all good and they could even smile about them as they looked into each other's eyes. And then the differences get really old. And sometimes that same marriage can turn into one another only seeing the faults in one another. There's not many divorces that happen because they were still enamored with one another. They get to the point where all they can see, they can't, they can't see anything good about the spouse. All they can see is the negative. And the marriage becomes not how I can serve my spouse, but what can my spouse offer me to make the marriage better? Because if they're not willing to do it, I'm not either. That's the way society is, though. 
Um, we value people who can offer society something. But if you have nothing to offer, you're not valuable. It is not so with Christ. Praise the Lord, it is not so with Jesus. I believe that Jesus values people more that understand how they can embrace what he offers than he ever worries about what they can offer him. Tonight we're going to be in Genesis chapter 9. I've titled tonight's message, Moving Forward, Backward, Christ's Covering Cross. We're going to start in verse 18 of Genesis 9. Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Basically, a new creation happens right now. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. Farming pushed Noah to drinking. He is not the last person that that's happened to. It pushed me to student ministry. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not going to tell you what that's pushed me to. <laughs> Brother Don, I'm not like that man you talked about this morning. I'm not offering that money. Um, <laughs> I hope you were here. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both their shoulders, and walking backward, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Canaan will be cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. He also said, praise the Lord, the God of Shem. Canaan will be his slave. God will extend Japheth. He will dwell in the tents of Shem. Canaan will be his slave. Now Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So Noah's life lasted 950 years. Then he died. Now, Noah lived 950 years. And for the most part, his life was spent in utter, complete obedience to God. Genesis 6, 9 says he was a righteous man who walked with God. He loved the Lord. He, he followed the Lord. He was righteous. But out of his 950 years, that there is recorded for us this one night of total shame. And if I'm Noah, I'm thinking, man... I did so good for 949 years. 
Why do, why do we have to look at this night of shame? And I think God did this for a reason. I think God put this story in the Bible for us all to learn a very important thing about the Lord. The first thing I want us to look at is the ham approach to shame and sin and weakness. Noah's drunk in his tent. Verse 22 says that Ham saw his father naked. The word saw, it, it does mean that he looked at, he gazed upon, but it, do, it, it carries a weight of volition. He was looking to find his father messing up. He didn't just happen upon the shame of his father. He, he's, he's looking for something in his father that he can pinpoint. He's wanting to catch him. This is not a sexual thing. It's not sick in that regard, but it's very sick to know that somebody is looking for somebody else, a man of God, to mess up. I want to catch you in your shame. And then, the second part of the ham approach, he left the tent and he told his brothers. Oh, Ham couldn't wait to get out there to his brothers and tell them about the shame of their dad. Now, I don't know how he approached it. I don't know if he approached it in the good old boy way and said, Dad's drunk and naked. Sin is sin is sin is sin. We got to do something about it. I'm not standing for this. Or I don't know if he was raised in church and said, Father has discarded his loincloth. <laughs> and he has become intoxicated. Shall we pray <laughs> for Father? But he couldn't wait to get to his brothers and tell them about the shame of his dad. Have you ever thought about how sick it is that that was the best news that Ham had at that time? You know, we tend to tell the best news we have. And the best news he had was about the shame of his dad. That's the Ham approach. Then there's the Shem and the Japheth approach. They become fully aware of the sin of their dad. They know exactly what's going on. They're not blinded by the sin of their dad. But their choice is to take a covering. Some of your versions might say a blanket. And the Bible is real descriptive here. It says they stand side by side. They put the blanket on their shoulders. Try to picture this. And they come to the tent. And they walk backward. And they cover up the shame of their dad. When you hear this story, what, who do you most relate to? Is it Shem, 
Japheth? Somebody who covers the shame of others? You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about sweeping stuff under the rug. Um, sometimes sin is in our midst and we need to address it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about atonement. I'm talking about taking atonement to people. Taking Jesus to people. Covering their sin in that regard. Their weakness in that regard. Are you more like Shem and Japheth? Or are we more like Ham? Exposing the sin of those around us. What would you say if I said everybody in this room does not best line up with Shem and Japheth? And everybody in this room does not best line up with Ham. But everybody in this room best lines up with drunk Noah. We can live, and we all know this, we can live 949 years, 364 days, and 23 hours. And we've all come to that point in our lives, and we may still be there, where we become controlled by everything other than what we should be controlled by. And we're in this tent and we're wallowing in our shame. And as soon as we find ourselves controlled by a foreign whatever, wallowing in our shame, there's an accuser there. And he points his crooked finger in our faces. Caught you. You messed up. Guilty. Jesus, look at him. He's a big goof up. Here's your buddy Dustin. Here's your boy Dustin. Drunk and naked in the tent. Messed up. Here he is. Found him. And we've needed somebody to come fully aware of our sin. Did you know that, that God doesn't love you because He's ignorant of your sin? He's 100% fully aware of your sin. Right in the middle of it, but uninvolved. And He takes up this covering that doesn't feel quite like a good blanket. It feels like a splintery tree. And he backs up in our tents. And he covers us. Friends, we're a bunch of Noahs. We are a bunch of drunken, shameful, embarrassing, messed up, twisted Noahs. And the enemy is constantly accusing us. And if we have Jesus Christ, he is constantly 
covering us. I think it's interesting to point out that Noah was in his tent. He wasn't out in front of the world for everybody to see. And sometimes that's how we measure sin, by who gets caught, by people. If, If you're in your tent messing up, I can assure you the enemy still has his crooked finger pointing in your face. And we all know it. And I want you to know that Jesus is ready to cover. If you're ready to be covered. I have three points. And then we'll be done. Point number one. We are never more like the enemy of God than when we expose other people. Check out verse 18. Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Skip down to verse 22. Ham, the father of Canaan. Now that doesn't mean that much to us. When we, can, we can read past details like that in Scripture, and it doesn't really register with us. But who wrote the book of Genesis? Does anybody know? You can respond. Does anybody know? Moses. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Now, there's a man who knew about Canaan. The whole point of his life were the, were, was to lead the people of God out of Egypt to the promised land named Canaan. Now, who was in the promised land? It wasn't just waiting for them to be settled there. The people of Canaan were in the promised land. Moses knew about Canaan. He knew about that time Caleb and Joshua and the spies went into the land, and they came out and they said, they're too big for us. We can't handle this. And then they up and decided they might go try it, and God let them get smoked. Moses is saying, Ham, the father of the enemy of the people of God. That's how he acts. Friends, we have a problem. We have a tendency to misplace our passions. We can get passionate about the wrong things. We can get passionate about politics. And and, and we should should have a say in politics. I'm not not saying that. But we can get on on rants about politics. We can get passionate about all the wrong things. And we miss the mission of God. And we start throwing darts at people. And it ruins the mission of God in their life. Did you know that the word devil translated literally is slanderer? Slanderer. When we expose people, when when we're the first ones uh, to, to start saying, hey, did you hear how he messed up? 
Did you hear how my brother messed up? Did you hear how this lost person messed up? If they would just start acting right, the world would be a better place. The world needs Jesus. It is no more satanic to be an ISIS member with a, with a machine gun than it is for a person to have the poison of slander on their lips. It's just as satanic to be smoking folks. One takes the physical life of others, one stealing spiritual lives for eternity. Huge deal. The mission of God is at stake. Point number two. We're never more like the Son of God than when we cover people. This is the most meaningful story that I can find about Shem, Ham, and Japheth in Scripture. They're not big, they're not heavy hitters. Uh, the Bible doesn't mention them a whole lot. This is the most um, interesting, meaningful story in their lives. In Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 10, there's a genealogy. And it goes from Shem to a man named Abram. Then in Matthew chapter 1, there's another genealogy that goes from a man named Abraham whose name was changed from Abram to the God-man Jesus. Shem's story pointed to Jesus. When people tell your story, does it point to Jesus? Once again, I want, to, I, want to, I want you to know I'm not talking about pushing sin under the rug. This, this doesn't mean that we forget all of the New Testament where it t tells us to, to deal with sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters. I, I'm not saying that. I am saying, do you revel, do we enjoy other people's sin, or do we hate it? And do we want to cover it? Do we have compassion for them? There's a huge difference. Um, I've been really convicted in preparing this message um, because I certainly don't have this down. And I hope you know that when preachers preach, uh, a lot of times it's something that God's dealing with in their own hearts. And I think all of our pastors would tell you uh, we're not getting up here uh, preaching something that we see in anybody other than ourselves half the time. It's, it's a lot of times God dealing with something in us. Uh, before Easter, Richie and I went to hang door hangers for um, our Easter services. And, and we went to a part of town that's not necessarily the best part of town. And, and we parked across from a liquor store and I, I want you to know that it was about 8.30 in the morning and we got out of our truck and there was a man across the street at the liquor store waiting on it to open and it was sad to me 
And I walked over and I gave him a door hanger and, and I invited him to church. We went on and we put door hangers out. We were out for uh, 45 minutes or so, got back to our truck and there was about 15 people there at the liquor store. So we're looking at about 9.15 in the morning. And that was really sad to me. But my first thought was, we need somebody to change a policy where these healthy men can go to work. I, I, pay, I pay these taxes. You know, I, I, pay, these, I pay a lot of taxes. And, and I, don't, I don't want people that are healthy living off of the taxes that I pay. That's my first thought. I've been convicted. Friends, the people in our community need Jesus. They don't need new presidents. I hope not. They don't need new policies. They need Jesus. And it's time we, we start, we stop worrying so much about our rights and remember our responsibilities to get Jesus to them so he can cover their shame. And they can hide in the cross where we're all hiding. We need to stop focusing on our rights and remember our responsibilities. Point number three. Believers need the gospel just as much today as they ever did when they were unbelievers. Sometimes, the farther we walk away, the farther we live away from that moment when we realized our guilt and our, hum our, our, our shame. Do you remember that time in your life? When you, when you recognized how off you were? Do you remember that? Painful time. When you understand your sin and your shame and and where you stand in front of a holy God. And then I remember when Christ came in and he didn't look at my sin, he covered me and he called me son. Sometimes the farther we walk away from that, we, we tend to forget what that was like. And we get arrogant. A person that's living in the gospel of Christ, a person that understands he's a Noah, covered by a shim is not arrogant. Sometimes we tend to, to blow up the weaknesses and the sin of others when we know we're a Noah. Friends, we need the gospel just as much as believing church people as we ever did as a hellish lost person. We never stop the need for the gospel in our lives. Applying it, hearing it, embracing it, and then living it. Tonight I just want you 
to think on these three points and think on where you are. The only way we can change the first two points, we can change the first point and live out the second, is to apply the third. Live in the gospel every day. If you need to repent tonight, I want to ask you to do that. I think the church that embraces the gospel is a repenting church. They can't help it. If I'm understanding I'm a Noah being covered by a Shem, I can't help but repent constantly. If you need to repent tonight, will you repent? The gospel's too important for our community or our world. And tonight, I want you to know if you're a Noah, if you're still wallowing in that shame and in that guilt, it doesn't matter if it's private or public. Noah was in his tent, and all that knew were him and Ham and Shem. But they still knew. If you need to turn that over to Christ, I want you to know he'll back into your tent. And he'll cover you. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks of you. If you're a deacon, if you're a Sunday school teacher, and you fooled everybody, but you haven't fooled the accuser, and you haven't fooled the king, I want you to know in the last day there won't be a jury. There will only be a judge. So it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you. Today or forever. Surrender your, your life to Christ. Let me pray for us. And you respond how you need to as we, as we worship. Father, we come to you today. And God, I'm thankful for stories like this. Where the gospel just oozes from them. And we can apply them to our lives. I'm thankful that in your grace and in your kindness, you have chosen to cover my shame. I needed something outside of me because I couldn't do it. And I'm thankful you chose to. Father, I pray tonight that we would hear your voice that we would listen to the things you say to our hearts and that we would respond in a way that pleases you. But I pray that our only response would not be tonight, but we would respond tomorrow and, and Tuesday and Wednesday. May our response be lived out in our lives. Father, have your way. Do whatever you want. In Jesus' name.